0: we Stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. <laughs> and Welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Marcotte, and I'm very happy to be back in the captain's chair recording another episode of the show. Now, before we go on, I would like to point out that it is Sunday, February 19th, 2017, which means Christmas has come and gone. New Year's has come and gone. Also, uh, Valentine's Day has come and gone, which means that the holiday-themed episode I had planned for the show more or less isn't going to happen there you go. However, what I have done is I have taken some of my more favorite aspects of the show that I had planned and rolled them into today's episode. So we're going to talk about a few different things today. First, I would like to uh, talk a little bit about the New York Comic Con exclusive Funko Pop that my wife did give to me uh, this past Christmas. It is Kitty Pride. Shadowcat from the X-Men. It is a very cool pop and we're going to talk a little bit about that and a little bit about uh, that particular character. Um, with Thanksgiving in mind, I really wanted to do a segment where we talked about uh, gratitude and appreciation for the stories and characters and writers that have contributed so much to to our lives and uh, you know our appreciation of uh, these forms of entertainment, whether they be trading cards, comics, novels, films, what have you. I just wanted to, to kind of touch on that a little bit. And and finally, as the last part of the show, we're going to do something new. It's going to be a live unpacking of a Legend of Zelda trading card set. Um, it's one pack of six cards from Interplay, which I think is going to be really fun. I have no idea what's inside this pack, but I really want to find out, so... If you will all bear with me, we will get to that point and uh, see what's inside. So I think it's going to be fun, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, so the Kitty Pride Shadow Cat New York Comic Con exclusive pop is extremely cool. It features Kitty Pride, of course, in the classic blue and yellow costume. And uh, the accessory that comes with this pop is actually her little alien dragon, Lockheed, and... Uh, That is particularly cool because you don't see very many Pops that have an accessory that is apart from the Pop itself. Um, By way of instance, I'm looking at the Walgreens exclusive Green Goblin right now who comes with a pumpkin grenade, but it's in his hand and part of the sculpt, uh, as well as uh, Oogie Boogie, who's holding a pair of dye. Again, it's part of the sculpt, not uh, removed from the pop itself. So that's really cool. Um, the only other one that I can think of that's like that right off the top of my head would be Tiana from the Frog Princess who comes with uh, a little frog prince accessory which is really cool. Um, we got that for my daughter and uh, she had quite a bit of fun with, with the little frog that came with that. So very cool. Um, so she's wearing the classic blue and yellow outfit which uh, was created by Cl- uh, Excuse me, Chris Claremont back in uh, issue 129 of uncanny x-men in 1980 Uh, so again both that traditional appearance uh, as well as the character herself was created by chris claremont and uh, of of course uh, it was created by chris claremont now chris claremont was the writer responsible for probably some of what i would consider to be the more prolific x-men storylines even if you're not familiar with the books And even if you're not familiar with Chris Claremont, you were probably familiar with some of his stories. Fox most recently did a Days of Future Past X-Men movie. Uh, Days of Future Past, of course, was written by Chris Claremont. Um, The X-Men animated series also delved into quite a few of his storylines, weaving in and out of them. So he he had a major impact on the X-Titles back in the day. Um, So, yeah, it's... uh, again it's a, it's one of his creations and uh kitty was the youngest member of the x-men and she had the she had the original role i guess of the sidekick or little sister character and uh this of course predated jubilation lee um by about a decade i think she didn't she didn't appear in the comics until 1989 and uh most of us probably remember her from the x-men animated series uh, she was in, I believe, the first episode, um, Night of the Sentinels. Was that the first episode? Wow. I, I'm really not sure. But anyway, um, that was uh, Shadowcat's role, more or less, uh, a decade prior. Now, Kitty Pride's powers include the ability to become intangible, allowing her to, quote-unquote, phase through solid objects um, and people. And a side effect of this ability was the disruption, or I should say is the disruption uh, and or destruction of electronic signals and equipment, which could be incredibly useful or detrimental, depending on the circumstances and situation. Um, now, Kitty did eventually leave the X-Men. Uh, she did join Nightcrawler and Excalibur for a time, and uh, most recently, uh, or more recently, I should say, uh, she even adopted the mantle of Star-Lord in, uh, alongside, um, I guess, her romantic interest, Peter Quill. Now, I'm going to be blunt and perfectly honest with you when I say I have not read an X title in a while. I put the books down um, in the mid-90s probably and didn't pick them back up until Grant Morrison's New X-Men and Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. I thought those were really, really great takes on the characters in the series, but they are in fact the last books that I've read. My most memorable depiction of Kitty Pride though, is in the form of her trading card from the 1994 Fleer Ultra X-Men set. You probably remember me mentioning this set before, and I promise you it won't be the last time that I mention it. Um, it was the first set I ever collected, and it made a huge impact on me uh, as far as uh, being a collector, but also a fan of X-Men and Marvel Comics. Um, this particular card was illustrated by artist Brian Stelfreeze, and he did uh, contribute quite a bit to that set. The card depicts Pride in a somewhat feline pose in front of an exploding television set. Uh, the last quarter of her body is phased through the floor, and by feline, of course, I mean more or less sexualized. Probably more, since this was par for the course in the '90s and uh, up until very recent times. Um, again that was 1994 I was 10 the first set I ever collected and I can recall almost every single one of those cards with a crystal clarity so it is uh, very sentimental and it's an awesome card I will be posting a picture of uh, that card on our Instagram page as well as our Facebook page uh, so you guys can see it if you haven't already it's very cool Um, now remember uh, our Instagram username is SG Cards and Toys. That's SG Cards, uh, A N D, no ampersand, Toys, SG Cards and Toys. And it is the same name on Facebook. Um, so if you want to check it out, um, definitely log into Instagram and Facebook and, and we will have that photo up for you, as well as a photo of the pop for sure. It's very cool. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, this was going to be a Thanksgiving episode, holiday episode, um, but time has become an elusive commodity. My brother suggested that I simply perform a generic holiday episode, sort of a um, thanks uh <laughs> sort, of, sort of deal. That didn't catch on, and I think that uh, Bill Maher has got the uh, exclusive rights to that one anyway, um, but in the end... I just thought it best to focus on the idea of thanks and gratitude for just good stories, man. Good stories and good characters. Now, before we go any further, I, I wanted to mention that um, my brother, uh, Will Marcott is the other portion or one of the other portions of The Sleeping Giant. Um, as we mentioned before, it is sort of a collective. And at this point, it is uh, more or less a trifecta of uh of my wife my brother and myself contributing to the sleeping giant so will uh is the voice by the way that you hear in the intro to the sleeping giant podcast uh he he definitely has uh that voice um which you know i thought that i could emulate but you know it's just it's not not gonna happen so i'm not even gonna try um so with that being said uh we uh we decided to to kind of just scrap the idea of the holiday episode all together and, and just, you know, pluck one of the topics from it and, and move forward with it, and, and this is what we had for you. So, uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's all the swag and the memorabilia, uh, the toys, the cards, and what have you, but all of that stuff wouldn't exist if it weren't for the uh, the stories themselves, you know, the, the root of of the media, as it were, um so yeah the without without writers uh without the actors and actresses to portray these characters no star wars no spider-man x-files the walking dead you get the idea so that is something to be tremendously thankful for especially since you know we are who we are and we enjoy the things that we enjoy um you know i think the last thing that i mentioned was the walking dead so let's just use that as an example, um, it's an ast- it's just an outstanding mashup of action, gore, horror, and drama. And at its heart, uh, as cliché as it may sound, it's a story about people. You know, I mean, uh, m- and maybe that's why clichés exist because they more or less uh, end up being uh, very accurate illustrations of, of an idea. And, and in this case, The Walking Dead is a story about people and their struggle against each other and their own decaying humanity. Uh, I think that one of the reasons we love these kinds of stories is because they allow us to project our own egos into the worlds of the characters that we love. Uh, We ask ourselves, how would I make it in the zombie apocalypse? Would I survive? Would I still be a good person? What is a good person in the face of such an animal, uh, hostile world? In The Walking Dead, we see our main protagonist, Rick Grimes, uh, transformed from the role of Officer Friendly, uh, as Merle Dixon once referred to him, uh, a good man trying to reunite with his missing wife and child, dispensing good guy justice and searching for the best in every outlaw and situation. And uh, we see him go from that to the thousand-yard stare post-trauma Rick Grimes with all the... Uh, the mountain man beard and, uh, the, you know, just the attitude that he would put around in a stranger's skull without blinking. Um, and, and we think, would that be me? Could that be me? Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that, that you think about, you know, I mean, you move past the point of, of watching the show and, and you think about, you know, your own life and how you behave in certain situations and what you're, your attitudes and proclivities are to the world, you know, and I think that, you know, while the story is, is hopefully uh, fiction and will remain fiction, um, you know, that it definitely has its its real-world uh, parallel, so to speak. Uh, one of the other aspects of, uh, I guess, of the subject was very well addressed In uh, Kevin Smith's film, Mallrats, when uh, Stan Lee explains to Jason Lee, uh, the character Brody, portrayed by Jason Lee, the emotional autobiographical origins of his legendary Marvel characters. Uh, Stan mentions that the Hulk was a mode of expression for the uh, pent-up rage that he felt in his own life. And uh, I think that the relationship between the artist and the audience is... uh, is both symbiotic and reciprocal in, in that way. And by the way, uh, Ang Lee's Hulk film was amazing. Uh, it was a work of pure cinematic art. Uh, Lee captured, in my mind, the essential themes of loneliness and isolation associated with Bruce Banner. And he did so uh, alongside wonderful acting and, and just brilliant cinematography uh, Hulk may not have been the film that we wanted but it was the one we needed and I a lot of people tend to disagree with me when I say that and you know that's to be expected at this point I understand but to say that the Hulk is not about um, frustrated loneliness and isolation I just don't think that's right I mean if you reflect, to the television series and, and the, uh, the opening sequence and the music and just the loneliness of, well, I guess that was David Banner in the show. But, you know, I think Ang Lee really, uh, just really captured that, and it meant a lot to me, and I, I thought it was a great film. Um, some people, in fact, 99% of people don't feel the same, and that's fine. Uh, but I would like to quote uh, another legend, uh, another comics legend, Alan Moore, uh, in his mindscape of Alan Moore, uh, at one point he says that it is not the job of the artist to give the audience what they want. Uh, if the audience knew what they needed, they would be uh, the artists, which I may have mangled that quote a little bit, but it makes perfect sense to me. Um, you know, it's, uh, you don't always necessarily get what you want. You, you, uh, you know, you, you get what you need, I think. And, uh, and in the case of The Hulk, I think that that was, a, that was a comic book movie that we needed. To sum up, I'd just like to express my personal gratitude for these amazing stories that have shaped my life and influenced my thoughts and attitudes. Uh, they've been central to guiding me emotionally and even spiritually, um, as, as in uh, Lucas's use of occult and mystical ideologies, Uh, though for his part misguided though they may have been at times it was still something that uh, that really had an impact on me and really shaped uh, a lot of who I am today. Um, A lot of you may not know this but it was um, it was a photograph of my wife uh, dressed as Heath Ledger's Joker that inspired me to speak word uh, number one to her. Um, Had that not happened uh, we likely not be together. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you can't say, but it seems a lot less likely that we would be together had I not seen that, and we wouldn't have our precious daughter um, you know and and they both just brought more light into my life than I can say and uh, you know, there were just so many moving parts behind that and and had none of it taken place then then uh, I may not even be right here uh, in this moment right now, so without getting too philosophical. Yeah, you never know. And sometimes we don't realize how much of an impact these influences can make. So yeah, um, I know I'm not the only person to consider this, by the way. So please uh, share with us your thoughts and stories. Um, you know, we'd really like to hear them and uh, I'd really like to talk to you all about them. So again, um, SG Cards and Toys, uh, that's our Facebook uh, name. You can find us there. So please drop us a line and uh, and let's talk. I think uh, I think it'd be really fun. Um, so, yeah, uh, moving on to the last part of the show, the the live unpacking. Let's see what we've got here. All right. I am excited about this. I'm holding a pack of the Legend of Zelda trading cards uh, in my hand. Um, again, these cards were made by Interplay. It is a, let's see, the this pack contains six cards and one decal or tattoo, so... That should be pretty cool. Also, at the bottom it says that it is from uh, five from five Zelda games. So we'll see what's uh, we'll see what's inside. Um, let's take a look at the back here, and uh, let's see. It says: Collect over one hundred stunning cards from five of Link's most heroic quests. Discover gold foils, decals, tattoos, and more. Um, relive Link's amazing adventures and epic struggles with the Legend of Zelda trading card packs. This sweeping trading card set encompasses friends and foes, items and treasures, and memorable moments from The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, and A Link Between Worlds, all in stunning detail. Oh, so that, I think, is going to be pretty cool. Uh, let's see, the foil card odds are approximately 1 and 2. Uh, gold foil cards appear, and 1 and 24, so... I guess we got a 50-50 shot at a foil card, so let's, let's see what we got here. Okay. Alright guys, so the top of the pack is elongated somewhat and a little tough to open, so you want to be careful with these if you pick up a pack. I know that if you put too much force on a corner of a pack, you can bend the edges, which is really not what we're trying to do here. So, let's be careful with that. Alright, so I have a temporary tattoo, which is cool. Uh, let's see, this actually features, uh, Princess Zelda herself. That's awesome. That's right at the back of the pack. And, uh, let's see, so we have, uh, card number one is Zant. Um, which is a character that I am not familiar with, um... And let's see, I'm looking on the back of the card here. This is number 43. Uh, In the Twilight Realm, Zant thought he was next in line for the throne. Now, that could be because I haven't played that game. In fact, the last game that I played uh, was Majora's Mask. I, I unfortunately, could not keep up or afford the technology required to to play Twilight Princess and uh, and forward. So, unfortunately, I'm just not familiar with that. Um, Let's see, the second card is uh, Navi. Which of course I'm familiar with. It's uh, it is the fairy that became Link's companion in Ocarina of Time. So we have a little boy, uh, Link, um, with uh, with Navi floating above him there. That's pretty cool. This is card number three. Uh, let's see. You know what is missing from these cards that I've noticed so far is there's no artist, um, no artist listed on the card, which is unfortunate because I'd like to be able to. Um, provide that to you so you can maybe look it up or or see some of the other stuff that they've done. Alright, this next card is uh, the moon's looming doom uh, right above the clock from uh, Majora's Mask. Uh, And this particular card features the moon uh, leering more or less from uh, underside its face, which is pretty creepy. Uh, Let's see... Finding Phi or finding Phi. Fi. Let's see. And this is something I don't think that I'm familiar with either. Uh, spirit named Phi leads Link to the goddess statue, urging him to take his place as the chosen hero by drawing the goddess sword from its pedestal. Again, this is from a game that I didn't play. Uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, looks to be uh, Link has his back turned to us uh, with a character in the in the, uh, the foreground there, and the sword looks like the sword from. Um, From, uh, oh, actually, you know what? I just noticed that in the top right corner of the card on the border, it actually says which game it's from. And this is Skyward Sword, which I did not play. I'm missing out here. I'm going to have to get on that. Uh, Let's see. Tattle and Tail from Majora's Mask. That is the next card, which is really cool. It uh, features those characters in a a circular green background. Um, The characters are silhouetted. And in in the foreground, uh, which again looks very cool, this is card 21, Tattle and Tail are fairy siblings and the Skull Kid's only friends, but everything changed when the mischievous friend stole Majora's Mask and was corrupted by its power, leading to their separation. To reunite with her brother, Tattle must first help Link stop the Skull Kid and save the land of Termina. I like it. Okay, the last card is from, uh, let's see, The Link Between Worlds. Uh, this is Ravia's Bracelet, and I did not play this game, but I am familiar with the art on the card, which is a two-dimensional uh, drawing of Link on a stone wall, um, which I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with the gameplay mechanics of, of, of that game and, and what, the, uh, what the drawing means for the game, so to speak. Uh, so I did recognize that. This is Ravia's Bracelet. This is card number 83. It says, with this deceptively simple artifact... Link gains the ability to merge in and out of walls, a trick that allows him to escape Yuga's dark spell and save the day. But how did a simple merchant like Ravio acquire such a powerful relic? Uh, epic Origins, it says, a mysterious gift from Ravio. So that's it. Uh, did not get a foil card in this pack, unfortunately, but the cards are very nice. Um, the card stock is a little thin, which um, I don't particularly care for. And again, that's because whenever you have a tough time opening the pack, you can sometimes damage the card, which uh, kind of sucks, um, especially since this is a tough pack to get into. So um, for any of you out there that are collecting these or plan on collecting these, just keep that in mind. You might even want to open it with uh, a pair of scissors and pull them out from the top because you got quite a bit of room uh, in the package there. So definitely, definitely not worth uh, damaging your cards. Um trying to force your your way into this pack but overall this was really cool and uh, I'll have some snapshots of uh, of these cards up on the, um, the Facebook page as well as Instagram so you guys can see those uh, that was fun and uh, I look forward to finishing this set I think it's one that I'm gonna gonna try to complete so awesome that's all for today's show, folks. Thanks to everyone for listening or looking us up on the interwebs. Uh, remember, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram if you'd like to see photos of some of the Funko Pops trading cards or folks that we have discussed today. Uh, again, you can find us on both social media outlets by the name SG Cards and Toys. So, looking ahead, uh, I'm very excited to say. ...that on our next show, we'll see our very first guests. We've got some of the guys from Collector Zone. Uh, they're going to be on the show, and we're going to be talking about the world of Funko Pops... ...as well as digital trading cards. Uh, a little of the history of the digital trading card, what that's all about... ...and, and maybe the direction that we will be heading uh, in the future. So I am super stoked about that and very excited uh, to have them here. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun and I hope you guys will tune in and listen. So in the meantime, uh, I am your host, Grayson Marcotte, and this has been the Sleeping Giant podcast. We'll see you next time.